welcome to Black Girl Squee, the podcast where we celebrate Black film genius with a Squee! I am your co-host, Enda Lauren, also known as Enda's Corner on Twitter and Enda Lauren on Mastodon. I'm Didi. I go by Dust Daughter on Twitter and Mastodon. Together we are Black Girl Squee at, um, on Twitter. You can find us there. You can also find Black Girl Squee on Tumblr, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Black Girl Squee if you want to help us support the show. Keep it going. And get bonus and, content. Yes. Yes. And uh, we have, like we said before, you can find me at Endless Corner on Twitter, Didi at Dust Daughter, and the podcast at Black Girl Squee, and our email is blackgirlsquee at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcast, or your favorite podcatcher by using our RSS feed. And, of course, you can find all of our episodes on our podcast home, blackgirlsquee.simplecast.fm. A couple of housekeeping notes. We have a spoiler policy, which is we spoil shit. Sorry and not sorry at all. Also, as you heard from the beginning, we squee really, really loud. We cuss a lot because we groan. And also because we groan, we talk about dick. And again, we are not sorry. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it. All right. So, Didi, you want to start us out on our squee-worthy news? All right. So, last weekend, hundreds of black women gathered in Washington, D.C. for the March for Black Women. Uh, This was held once again, uh, just like it was held last year, to raise awareness of issues that black women face that are often overlooked. The, organ- the organization serves, the march serves as a catalyst to denounce the propagation of state violence and the widespread incarceration of black women and girls, rape and all sexualized violence, the murders and brutalization of trans women, and the disappearances of our girls from our streets, our schools, and our homes. And that's from uh, the organization's website. The march was founded by Black Women's Blueprint and supported by partners like BYP 100 and Trans Sisters of Color Project. They were also publicly backed by the Women's March, the the YWCA, and Planned Parenthood, who um, supported on Twitter and encouraged folks to participate, gave them tools to um, prepare for the march. Um, A quote from event co-chair Monica Ray Simpson adds that we are marching to say that black women's lives matter, that black mamas matter, and to call for an end to systems and policies that deny our dignity from bans on abortion coverage to mass incarceration. So, um, doing the work that many uh, women's organizations don't because yes. they ignore and erase black women. So, to the people behind the Black Women's March, we give a big I hope you just felt a whole lot of yeah good black femme energy yeah. that weekend. Yeah, <laughs> just all of it. Yeah, just need it. it. Just need it. Yes. <laughs> if any, if okay. anything, if any place needs that energy right now, <laughs> it's Washington Ooh. D.C. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so let's um keep going with some good news and one of our favorites over here. Uh, you may have heard. Our girl, Jamil Hill, is now a staff writer at The Atlantic. Yay. Yay. Hill will be 
<laughs> She's going to be writing about issues related to sports, race, politics, and culture for the magazine and for the website, theatlantic.com. She'll be moving from D.C., where she worked for The Undefeated and into L.A., you know, so... Well, who won that? As you know, she's leaving DC, but Aww. still, this is a yeah, this is a great um, uh, a great platform for her. I hope mm-hmm. you know, hope she won't get treated like she was treated at ESPN. But uh, anyway, um, Jamil, no, talk about it. Talk about it. It's okay. Um, <laughs> she, this is all after she did you know get a buyout from ESPN and secured the bag for several million dollars. So. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Jamel Hill ain't leaving no money on the table, uh, and good. good for you. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And she says, sports is a great entry point for exploring what's happening in the wider society. You can't talk about sports without talking about race, class, gender, and politics. I want to explore the complications and discomforts with the publication that has the long history of supporting this kind of work. And she is so not wrong, because I don't, there's not sports is just one of the kind of most blatant ways you see particularly black bodies you know on display for entertainment but that's what we just want those bodies for we don't want them to be anything else we don't want them to be fully human so she is right on the money with that so i cannot wait yes (laughs) i'm ready for it yes and she's also going to be in la working on a show with uh, lebron james so who is also Yay. now playing on the hated LA Lakers, but um, <laughs> also with my favorite player in the whole NBA. But <laughs> yeah. oh god, this is so weird. Who LeBron who has actually recently been been doing the work in pushing black women to the front and working with them so that they're like doing you know things behind the scenes stuff because I think three black women like designed his shoe and stuff mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. He, yeah. made, he made sure everybody knew that yeah designed a shoe specifically for black women designed by black women so yes that's 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 big so yeah yeah I'm I'm excited to see what LeBron and Jamel cook up uh, it's it's gonna be good um and so to Jamel Hill we give a big squeeze. And I notice, I'm just noticing, like, Jamel left ESPN, went to the Atlantic. Hannah Georgius left um, site I will not name, but rhymes with Stinger mm-hmm. at the and went to the Atlantic. Um, I don't think they had any black women writers of this level on staff before before yeah. those two left those previous organizations to come to the Atlantic I think the only prominent black writer they had was Coates so mm-hmm. um, yep. so come on come through black right. women make things right. better <laughs> yep. <laughs> alright okay so, oh it's another one of your favorites yes um, yeah <laughs> So, actress Angelica Ross makes her runway debut. So, actress and activist Angelica Ross, with who you may know from the first season of Claws. She was also in this little show called Pose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, little, this little indie show. Nobody knows much about it. Um, <laughs> she walked the runway for the first time as a model during New York Fashion Week. And served as campaign spokesperson for hair and beauty brand Wild Form. Uh, So Angelica said, this was my first time ever walking the runway for a New York Fashion Week show, and Marco Marco was the perfect designer to break me in. There was so much love backstage as we were getting ready for the show, mostly because a lot of us already knew each other from being in community movement spaces to being former castmates and colleagues. It was also nice meeting other trans people I didn't know from around the world. Um, so in addition, Pose castmate Dominique Jackson closed the show. And, um, 
a, a consultant on Pose, uh, Leomi Maldonado, uh, walked during New York Fashion Week for a different show. So uh, a lot of trans representation at New York Fashion Week. So this is good. Um, Ross also noticed that um, uh, the influence that Pose and ballroom culture has had on this year's designers and shows. So, look, already, you know, one season exactly. in, they're already, their impact is being felt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, big ups to Angelica Ross, and of course, a big. Oh, also wanted to mention, um, you may remember Maria Jackson, who did Mrs. of the Underground with our uh, Diddy here. She got to meet Angelica Ross a couple of days ago at the premiere in Atlanta for The Hate You Give. She's in that too? Yes. (sighs) I know, right? (laughs) Just so proud. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. yeah, if you if you follow Maria, you, she she posted pictures on Instagram and stuff. And, you know, they're just all hugged up, you know, nice and stuff. So, Jelly, so, yes, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so moving on. I am so excited about this. I mean, I was looking forward to the show going back already, but we just found out Eric Alexander has now joined the cast of the CW show Black Lightning. For the second season. So she's going to have a recurring role as Perina, a therapist with telepathic abilities who is trying to help Jennifer all acclimate to her manifesting powers and the emotions that go along with them. Uh, of course, we all know Eric Alexander, Maxine Shaw, attorney at law from Whip and Single, 20-something years. I mean, she's still iconic for that. Mm-hmm. And she recently appeared in episodes of Queen Sugar. And I, oh, that was just a really good role. And yeah, I, I'm still just a bit kind of shook with that one, you know, and how the storyline. Oh, yeah, anyway, she played, yeah, she played Hollywood's ex, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, she was also on Insecure, on HBO's Insecure. And I'm not mistaken, she also appeared in Get Out. Yes. Yes, she did. Okay. It was brief, yeah. but yeah, she was in there, too. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, and also... I love that she's finally gotten to do a sci-fi show because she has been in speculative and sci-fi for some time now. She and her husband did a comic called Concrete Park. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it, it like got canceled after, um, I think before it even got finished, it got canceled, but it was really good. I actually have copies of it here because I was not going to miss that. But it was um, uh, took place on a prison planet, and it was in all uh, black and brown um characters in it so I mean yeah so she's she's been trying to get especially black women but more black presence and speculative and sci-fi and stuff like that trying to push that more to the forefront recently because she's been told black people don't like science fiction that's bullshit (laughs) very much bullshit I mean in the rights speculative fiction (laughs) yeah I love consuming speculative fiction um it's it's, and i'm sure in most of the people that we hang out with and connect with on twitter love spec fic it's so so wild they also created as well yes oh god Okay. okay but yeah so okay but eric alexander and the next season of black lightning we give a big All right. So this worked out well. So Team USA wins the gold at the FIBA World Women's World Cup of Basketball. Um, this doesn't get as much press as when the men's team wins. Um, but we're going to spotlight it here because... Team USA had a bunch of great black women players, mm-hmm. including um, Jewel Lloyd, who won the WNBA championship with the Seattle Storm, whatever, uh, Rookie <laughs> of the Year, Aja Wilson, 
um, Tina Charles, who is a um, future Hall of Famer with the New York Liberty. Um, Naneka Okwamike from the Connecticut Sun. Um, or wait, or is she from the Sparks? One sister is on the Sparks and one sister is on the Connecticut Sun. I think she's on the Sun. Um, Morgan Tuck, from, also from the Connecticut Sun. Um, Laisha Clarendon. And, of course, Brittany Griner from the Phoenix Mercury. Um, Brittany Griner was named Player of the Game because she, um, she did work in the post. She was up against um, player Liz Cambage, who was one of the leading scorers the whole tournament, but kind of um, got her, her scoring was limited because Griner was guarding her. And um, she couldn't seem to stop Griner. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, another black pay- player uh, from the Spanish team, Astor Endur, um, was named one of the All-Star Five, which is they, they um, award the five ble- best players of the tournament. And um, Astor was one of them. And she also got the bronze medal with uh, uh, the Spanish team. So, big ups to all of the black women that won gold. Oh, and also Coach Don Staley, um, who made history, winning as a player and a coach. Um, uh, another black woman uh, that we want to acknowledge um, who helped this team um, succeed. Um, they got together really quickly because a lot of people were just coming in uh, right after the WNBA playoffs. Mm -hmm. So, um, to make this, to make this work and they managed to make it work well enough to win the gold. So congratulations to team USA and a big to all the athletes involved. Yeah, it's so weird because I remember Don Staley's name from when the league first started and she was a player, but now they're coaches now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, it's it, it's been a generation. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. She was. Right. I think she was coaching in college with the uh-huh. in South Carolina, and now she's coaching Team USA. All right. Evolving. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so I guess uh, we are going to be doing these little in this corner thing. Said, um, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to keep it short. I'll, I'll try not to you know go off on too many tangents because it I don't know. It still just feels I don't know. It still feels weird. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, this is I don't know. I don't know. But it's just some music stuff, and yeah, we all need we definitely need some music now. And going to start that off with Esperanza Spalding and her EP. 12 Little Spells, and uh, according to Rolling Stone, what she plans to do with this is release one song from the project every day starting the 7th, so it should be a couple of days in by the time this um, airs, and the entire EP is supposed to drop on October 19th, and she said the uh, in a statement about the project that it's an exploration of the body, human energy, and healing with each track or spell as Baldwin refers to them, corresponding to a different body part. Oh, see, she's just after my own heart. That's what I, th- that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, Inda's going to love this. Yeah, like, like Esperanza knows how to speak to me. Yes. <laughs> she's also planning to play 12 pop-up shows that focus on one song each. And as you know, Esperanza's Baldwin, she is a bit of a, a performance artist as well because she recently recorded like a double album or something like that like over 72 hours on Facebook like 72 non-stop hours she she did this I don't know how because I couldn't because I knew I wasn't going to watch all of it and I sometimes when I get that way I just kind of drop out of the whole thing because I don't I've I don't want to miss any of it and I don't want to get caught up but she did that <laughs> and uh, yeah so this um, project is no surprise. And um, also, you may have heard 
a little album that came out two years ago turned to uh, a few days ago, just, I think. September 30th. Yeah, September 30th. And it was, I knew it was either the end of September or the beginning of October, but same thing. Anyway, uh, Solange's Seat at the Table turns to, and uh, there's a, um article in OK Player about it. This, people were um, using about it, giving, you know, their special thoughts about it because uh, that was for a lot of lists. That was their top album of that year. You know, cause I, I, when I was going through my music list, you know, on Twitter, like, oh, this was their top album. And as you know me, I got to it a little late. It was like more than a year old before I finally um, listened to it. And I listened I had to it. I've been talking about it for a year, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> she had, and if you listen to this other show from. Um, Black Girl Squeak called uh, Ratchet Research. Uh, our esteemed Didi and our friend Katrina Jackson did a really good show analyzing it and Lemonade, was it? Yeah. We, we, yeah. we looked at, um, yeah, we looked at both albums and both sisters. We put, the yes. episode is the first episode of Ratchet Research called The Knowles Sisters. Yes. So that that was done. That was a thing that happened. If for some reason you missed it two years ago, please go back and you know correct that situation. Um, and of course, like the reason why I finally listened to the album, there was this really, really cool list. If you liked this um, album, then read this book. Well, as it happened, one of my favorite books was on that list. And so I listened to the corresponding album course the book was the house on mango street by sandra cisneros and that album of course was a uh, solange's seat at the table and that was a really good inspired choice and so and of course our boy terrence nance who you may remember from a couple of episodes ago in our dwidp he um has a show random acts of flyness and if you did not watch that show solange is in that last episode and so I actually kind of just started putting all of that together, and that's how I ended up with my latest episode of Venda's Corner. And I actually didn't even realize that it was the anniversary of the um, of the album. So, so she ended up just helped me out. Yeah, <laughs> I think you released it that weekend of the anniversary. Yeah, the first, so because so. I, I released them all on the first of the month. So good job, good job. Yeah. Good job, Universe. Yes. <laughs> Good job, Enda. Universe just... <laughs> but if you just want to hear me ramble on about that and Terrence Nance and Sandra Cisneros and some, a bunch of other stuff, I mean, you can. That's on my um, show on Mixcloud. So a little self-promotion there. But, um, okay. Off that and... Yeah, okay. Gotta give you that. That's that's a good album and I'm I'm giving you and Katrina that one. But um And thank you for giving me an excuse to rewind this back like for the millionth time. Like <laughs> Yes. This okay. this yeah, this album is it means a lot to me. Um Aww. Aww. so um it's it's really good and especially ooh, it just Every time you listen to it, you just you just feel it even more strongly because there's so much more fuck shit that's happened now than <laughs> even yeah. in the even two years ago. So yeah, thank you, Inda, uh, and thank you, Solange. Okay. <laughs> um, speaking of really good albums and artists who I don't think get enough credit for being as good as they are, Macy Gray recently released her tenth studio album called Ruby and it is exquisite it's probably probably in my top five for the year now all of my top five are black women by the way but um of course yeah <laughs> yes but uh yeah it's it's really good and if you want to um you know hear more about her you know well I say read more about her process and things about that she did a 
interview with OK Player, and one, I didn't realize she was 51 now. Wow. Uh, yeah, she is. And yeah, next year is going to be 20 years since her first album. And so, yeah, but um, she talks, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, about, you know, drug use, you know, and addiction and stuff like that. Also, she's about to launch a um, new organization called My Goodness to help teenagers deal with mental illness. And so, Mm. you know, good for her. And also, oh, it's interesting. She's, um, because they referred to an interview that Khalees did with OK Player, and Khalees was talking about how when she was touring Europe, she and Macy Gray would always be, like, on the same bills for these festivals, and they were always the only black women on these alternative, you know, music circuits, Mm. yeah, circuits, and which was, which is fascinating, because I do kind of, you know, put both of them as, like, alternative, even though I have kind of made Macy Gray neo-soul adjacent, but she's not really neo-soul. And, man, and so it was just, you know, Cleese was talking about for years, it was just those two. They were the only ones. And so, um, yeah, she talks about that. She talks about, you know, R&B, you know, what's been going on and that. And, you know, when she did the theme song to us, as told by Ginger Yell, Macy Gray is just so undersung. She she just doesn't get enough credit. People want to just, you know, relegate her to, you know, being this coop, you know, this space case. And she has, but she's such a good artist. And people don't want to um, give her that, you know. She's, you know, six feet tall. You know, she used to remember, have this huge fro. She's changed it up, you know, sometimes recently and all. And, you know, got a, you know, got an odd voice. But she's a damn good artist, and she's consistently good. A space she, has, she doesn't make bad albums. A space case yeah, wouldn't space be case. able to make ten consecutive studio albums. Like a space case would have left music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, if you haven't listened to it yet, go listen to Ruby. It is it's worth your time. It really is. I, I love, I'm just in love with it already. So, and I like Macy Gray as a person, too. Um, and just briefly, uh, something else you need to be listening to, Aluna George just did their EP Champagne-Age, just came out this weekend. I was listening to it last night. That shit, I like it better than their first other. Than their wow. Other like better than body music? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I think she said, Aluna Francis, you know, she was like, we were afraid to um, work with other um, artists first because we didn't want to, like, get our style mixed up with anybody else. You know, we wanted to establish ourselves. But they're working with, you know, people like Brian Tiller and, you know, different people like that. And it's short but sweet. I I do kind of wish it was longer, but it's a, I don't even think it's 20 minutes long, but it's really good. It's really good. So, you know, check that out. Uh, still waiting for an album from Sina Say. And she uh, recently did a, um interview with Dazed that you can find. And, yeah, her um, al- album, I'm a Dream. I still don't know what it's supposed to come out yet, but it needs to come out. It really does. Because based off that open, the first track alone, I Owe You Nothing, I know I'm gonna love this. Who? Who? Yeah. She, Inda, Inda put the the video on her Twitter, and that was my first time hearing that song. I'm like, really? This is fucking amazing. That's my song of the year already. It, it really, girl. <laughs> that's about to be my anthem. Yes. Lifetime She's like, anthem. I don't have to smile for you. I don't have to dance, monkey, dance, monkey, dance, monkey, monkey dance, dance, for dance for you. I was like, okay, girl, we here. We yeah. we here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that song is amazing. Yeah. yeah, she's Swedish and Gambian. Yes. And I'm thinking that might be Gambia that she's in because, you know, her father's, um, her father's home. 
but I'm not sure. I don't know where that video takes place, but oh my God, the most beautiful black people. Yes. I was like, yeah. it was just her and a house full of dark-skinned Gambians. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I was like, okay. Okay, make a statement. Go ahead. Yeah. She's like, oh, just in case you didn't know, I am fucking black. <laughs> yes. This is who I hang around with. This is who I yes. bang around. And all the women yeah. was doing hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, it was so good. That, is such, that video just such beautiful, gorgeous visuals. I oh, love God. it. And so, oh. yeah, so we still waiting on Sunny Busse's new album, you know. I, I liked her stuff before, but it's like when she came out with this, I'm like, oh, she just said, fuck it, I'm going to be me. Yes. And you're going to deal. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, got off on a tangent. Yeah, I think that's all the music news I wanted to do. Yeah, that's it for right now. Oh, Kalela's so, Kalela's remix album. Yes, dropped, right. Yes, yes, yes. It did just just yesterday, I believe. So, if you like that, let me know. Remix. There's more where that came from. So yeah, Kalela doesn't disappoint either. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Okay. So, do we want to? Oh, you can. You can hear more of this wonderful music <laughs> and commentary on the Black Swan Collective, which is at yes. mixcloud.com slash indalauren, I-N-D-A-L-A-U-R-N. Okay. <laughs> 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 Wasn't getting away with that, was no. it? No. Okay. Goodness. Anyways, thank you, and no uh, for letting us visit your corner. Oh gosh, that sounds weird. Sorry. Um, <laughs> this has been in this corner. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. So yeah. Oh man, hate to move from that type of joy. Yeah. Because some people really need to catch a fade. They need a few, to be honest, and they need them constantly. Yeah, um, I, I figure we just fig- we'll just focus on the one, and that is okay. the Senate Judiciary yeah. Committee, basically. Mm. Um, and Republicans as a whole, and spineless Democrats, and mm-hmm. just government. Just this U.S. government Excellent. can catch the fade. Basically. But especially those first two. Yep. And I really wanted to focus on um, a great piece uh, in that was in the New York Times. Um, the New York Times has published a lot of bullshit opinion pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the few gems that they've published written by uh, esteemed legal um, expert Kimberly Crenshaw who was a member of Professor Anita Hill's legal team and an expert on black feminist legal theory. She also coined the term intersectionality mm-hmm. and currently she works as a professor at UCLA and Columbia Law School. And she's working on a book called On Intersectionality. And, of course, there's no one better to write a book on intersectionality than the woman who coined the term. So, uh, this piece is about, um, is called We Still Haven't Learned from Anita Hill's Testimony, which is the God's honest truth, as, um, as of recording um, alleged sexual assaulter uh, Brett Kavanaugh has just been confirmed to the Supreme Court. Uh, so we haven't learned anything. Um, probably going to read half of this piece, but uh, it's really good and Crenshaw didn't waste words. So um, I'm going to link to it in the show notes, and I hope you can read it uh, when you get a chance. So, um, go ahead. No, I wasn't saying anything. 
So um, she starts by saying, um, we still have not learned our mistakes from that mess in 1981. Most people recognize that it looked bad, a black woman fending for herself in front of a group of white men. Yet we can't acknowledge the central tragedy of 1981, the false tension between feminist and anti-racist movements. We are still ignoring the unique vulnerability of black women. Um, Crenshaw says that she was there when Hill gave her testimony as a part of her legal team. And she was worried that Hill would be trapped between an anti-racist movement that centered black men and a feminist movement that centered, and still does, white women. And that subtext became bold text in light of Thomas's high-tech lynching remark. Um, and especially, this was an especially weird remark for him to make since he was a very conservative judge who believed that blacks should pull themselves up by their bootstraps and all that bullshit. So for him to even talk about being persecuted because of his race um, wasn't was out of character, but it seemed to work. Um, again, Crenshaw says the two groups most visible at the Hill Thomas hearing were at odds with each other. Many white feminists appeared largely unaware of the racial dynamics that shaped the Thomas Hill confrontation, and many people fighting for racial justice, aware of lynching's toll on black men, heeded judges, Judge Thomas's appeal to racial solidarity. They argued past each other, damaging the goal of anti-racist and feminist collaboration, the sort of alliance Miss Hill's testimony might have, in a better world, solidified. Uh, so, she she noticed that during the time black people, including many black women, supported Thomas. Some even organized prayer vigils on the steps of the Capitol. And they called into um, political radio shows to support Thomas. And even the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee, um, and I think Joe Biden was one of them, didn't support Hill either. So I think he was like the head of the committee or something. He was yep. a ringleader. Yep. 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 He tried to he tried to give that late ass apology um mm -hmm. uh a month or two ago and Ms. Hill was like, uh thanks but no thanks. <clears throat> and uh, and now he's like, I feel like people are blaming me now. I'm like, well, yeah. If you led the committee, yeah. It, it, it is your fault. You could have done more. Yep. You could have done something. Um, among the people that supported Thomas, um, with, with their twisted logic, was Harvard sociologist Orlando Patterson, who interpreted Thomas's harassment of Hill as some sort of courting ritual, uh, some sort of black cultural courting ritual that um, the aloof and uppity Miss Hill um, spurned, or Professor Hill spurned. So um, uh, Crenshaw uh, goes on to detail how othering black women's sexuality is a tactic that's been used for centuries to dismiss the abuse and assault of black women. It's been used in slave houses, um, and it's it's it was used in 1981. Um, she says, "quote Black women are vulnerable not only because of racial bias against them, but also because of stereotypes that they expect less nurturing, that they are more willing, no, and no one will believe them." Um, 
so white feminists cast her as an accomplished lawyer and legal scholar whose race was immaterial. Um, such colorblind feminism did a profound disservice to Miss Hill, and it marked another key moment of political erasure. Uh, so, as always, who works to fill in the gaps? Black women. Um, and 1,600 of them signed um, um, a full-page ad that was bought in the New York Times called African American Women in Defense of Ourselves. And if you look on Twitter, several people have uh, posted that uh, in light of... Dr. Ford's testimony, because um, this is all. This is not only dredging up trauma from from recent times. This is dredging up trauma from decades ago for a, a lot of Black women. Um, Crenshaw also posits that moving Black women's concerns to the center of the movement against sexual harassment and assault will help correct the horrendous mistreatment and dismissal of Hill and other black women. And that goes for movements against police violence and gender-based violence. Um, and it's wild because I think if you look back in history, black women were at the forefront of building these movements. All of them. But they've been pushed so far from the center of all of these movements. It's wild. It's wild. And this is why we rail against white feminism. It is yes. evil and violent and it kills. Um, so just uh, um yeah, I, I don't want to read the whole thing, but definitely check out that piece from Kimberly Crenshaw and just follow her on Twitter. She's at Sandy Locks, S-A-N-D-Y-L-O-C-K-S. Um, uh, if if you can pre-order her book, do that. Um, just she's definitely a woman very much worth listening to about um, issues regarding black women. And the law and um, um, justice. So, um, anything else you want to just say? Well, I'll put it this way for my end 1991, I think they said this was happening November 17, 1991. 81. 81. No, it was 91. For Anita Hill? Yeah. Oh. Well, the piece stated at 81. Uh, yeah, it shouldn't be. Because <laughs> I remember when this, I remember this happening. <laughs> this was my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, 1991, in, when this was happening, I was like a week away from 13. And I, I know distinctly at that time, I wasn't paying it much attention because, you know, I didn't really care. It's like, okay, this is preempting, you know, my shows or whatever. I'm like, please, you know, stop this. But I'll say, like, I didn't really like Clarence Thomas. I didn't, yeah, something about him did not sit right. I did not like him. And the one thing that kind of just made me believe Anita Hill is I just distinctly remember her saying, I have nothing to gain here. And when you think about it, she didn't. I mean, and, and I don't know why that was just kind of the, yeah, you know, but it's like he got confirmed anyway, so, you know, that was the lesson in that. And it's just, I don't think I got the full weight of it until I was in college and I was reading a book, you know, Toni Morrison um, edited. I forget exactly what it's called, but it's like Racing, Gender, in Gendering Justice or something like that. And there's the spelling is um, the spelling emphasizes race and gender, and I was reading all of these pieces, these essays about you know the um, the um, Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill um, 
Saga, whatever that the way it played out and how, you know, she got dismissed, you know, and just kind of painted as this, you know, scorned, you know, you mentioned how, you know, white feminists tried to, you know, just say, okay, it's about her being an accomplished lawyer, not about her being black, but it was very much about her being a scorned black woman, especially by this black man with his white wife, who, in her support of her husband, pretty much implied Anita Hill was jealous of her because if he had, you know, if he's with me, there's no way he could have wanted her as if harassment or any of that has anything to do with actual desire and it's all about it. you know, not about power, you know, like it is. People know who they have power over. And it's like somebody mentioned on Twitter one time, Daniel Hotzclaw had a much better grasp of intersectionality than like most white feminists do. Because he knew exactly who he could victimize and, and almost get away with. And so now, you know, just seeing, you know, this play out, and I'm glad, um, I'm glad Kimberly Crenshaw, you know, did this piece here. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, what's happening with Anita Hill and how you're seeing people, even now, oh, Christy Ford, she's vulnerable and all that, where Anita Hill was so stoic and strong. And I'm like, I remember, listen, when I was in grad school and I remember, you know, there was a one of my black woman professors, I forget which one she was, and she was saying, but you could hear, like, in certain places where you, like, Anita Hill's voice would waver when, you know, she would hesitate or, you know, you you did see, you know, those vulnerabilities, but why weren't they read on her? And so, yeah, and, and it's like, it's, it really is, I mean, really, you know, remarkable, because I didn't even know about this, um, about the women, the black women who um, took out the ad, you know, in support. And I also didn't know that there were two other women who came forward with accusations, but they didn't get hurt. They made sure it was only Anita Hill who got seen, you know, with this whole thing. Wow. So and, it's, it's like, it's like deja vu. It's yeah. like that Code Switch podcast episode, deja vu yeah. all over again, because Deborah Ramirez and Julie Swetnick um, we're not um, invited to testify. Um, exactly. Just uh, Dr. Blasey Ford. Yeah. Wow. They haven't learned a goddamn thing? Not a the thing. The only thing they learned, they had a woman question Dr. Ford. And it's still the opposite of that, because all these men are still sitting behind her. And when Dr. Ford, you know, when her testimony was over, well, where did, I forget her name, I'm sorry about, well, I'm not really sorry, but I forget her name. But where did she go when it was time to question Brett Kavanaugh? I don't know, but she fucking disappeared. Yeah, she was poof. I think they. I think I may have read that she was somewhere taking notes or something. I don't know. And somewhere in the back taking notes. Okay. Yeah. Like a good little flunky. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. But still, I mean. It's just like this whole thing. I'm like, people keep saying, this is how the system is designed to work. It's not broken. This is what it was always supposed to do. People do not give a damn because what just happened just about an hour ago. Yep. He got confirmed. Yep. This man is now our new Supreme Court justice. And y'all sitting here like, Oh, women are about to get like no, 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 no. First of all, you mean white women? Everybody else been fed up, and ain't nobody else, you know, been giving them support. And like I said, there was this um, poll that came out a while ago, show how most people, most people of color, including black people, we all took um, foresight. We all believed her. White people, along gender lines, are almost divided fifty-fifty. So it's like you said, I'm always going to point back to the 53%. Yep. They, it does not matter to them whether or not he did this. It does not matter to them. They are going to stick to the script. They will choose their whiteness over their womanhood every time. 
and people who want to blame it blame this all on a specific senator Susan Collins for her vote um, and and say oh well she's being blackmailed she's being bullied nope no she, nope. and even if she was that doesn't excuse the 53% that voted in the guy that nominated this this rapist What's your excuse for them? Were they all being blackmailed and bullied? Y'all about to stop looking at these white women as victims. They are active participants in patriarchy. Partners. And don't yes. look at them as saviors, because they ain't going to do shit. Nope. Because I, I guess this system helps them more than hurts them. I don't know. But they're going to continue to bolster it. Yep. And we need to move on without them. Mm-hmm. And I really don't want to hear about, oh, well, women need to work together and rise up and use our anger for um, energy and activization and all this stuff. Yeah. You go do that over there, but... Nah. I'm going to be over here with the black women. Yes. Y'all can keep y'all's all women stuff over there. And see what y'all do with it without the black and, women. Cause... And second of all, bitch, when I was just perceived as angry, even when I wasn't just perceived that way, what did fucking white feminists tell me? You need to harness your anger. You're being divisive. Fuck you. Because that's made me angry. I wasn't angry when I was writing about, you know, what, you know, my studies or, you know, whatever I was looking at. You need to harness that anger. Like, bitch, where am I angry? I'm angry now. <laughs> oh, gosh. If, if black women show the least bit of annoyance or anger, we're dismissed. People don't want to listen to us. Oh, you're just a loud, angry black woman. Mm-hmm. But as uh, Solange so wonderfully said, we got a lot to be mad about. Yep. And we've been mad for a while. Y'all yep. are new to this. We are true to this. Y'all, and we, we have been using our anger as fuel for all of these movements that y'all have colonized. Yep. So, so, yeah. So when y'all steal our words or our work or stuff like that, we're going to get upset. And we're not going to, we're not going to take the time to police our tone. And y'all will just have to deal. Or stop fucking up. Either deal and learn from it. Or stop fucking up. Yes. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, okay, let's bring our pressure down. Usa. And let's move on to something much, much happier. And that is this week in that prince. Hey. Diddy, I think you've got some goodies for us. <laughs> um, I wanted to shout out uh, an actor who was featured on this season's uh, season three of HBO's Insecure, and mm-hmm. that is one Alexander Hodge. Um, he plays Andrew, um, aka Asian Bay, <laughs> on, to, on um, Insecure. Um, because there was this funny bit where they go to this concert, um, and, um, um, Issa's man this, this season introduces his friends. Um, one of them is Andrew and one of them is the musician Gallant. Um, um, and (laughs) Kelly played by Natasha Rothwell, who we've talked about on this show before. Um, 
she doesn't bother learning anybody's names. She's like <laughs> the Asian one and the black one. So, <laughs> so Issa kind of cleaned it up with Asian Bay. So, um, anyways, Asian Bay uh, is played by Alexander Hodge, who is an Australian actor. Uh, it's weird. We're getting we're adding all these Australians to DWIDP. Um, last oh, yeah. last time it was Chris Pang, and now it's Alexander Hodge. Um, he is of mixed heritage. His father is Irish, and his mother is Chinese Singaporean. Um, and I learned most of what I know about Mr. Hodge from a great interview on Rebecca Theodore Vachon's podcast, The Spectrum Lounge. So check that out on SoundCloud. Um, uh, he has a great voice, of course. He has a little bit of an accent, and um, he was very glad that they didn't uh, choose to use it. And he just played an American on the show because he was worried that, you know, um, the accent might distract from that it might be seen that um, the characters were only attracted to him because of his accent or something like that. Um, so, um, and I was like, hmm, that's a, uh, that's a good thought. Actually, we've seen your face, though. So. Yeah, and his hair. <laughs> oh, the hair. He's got a yes. long, luxurious mane. Um, yes. <laughs> And he said after working on Insecure, he only wants black women touching his hair. So <laughs> he said that. He legit said that on the podcast. Know your audience, Asian Bay. No, audience. but he'd be knowing. He was like, he got he, he yep. got in the, the chair um, um, before uh, Insecure. And, um, you know, they were showing, they were giving him tips on how to take care of his those split ends and all this kind of stuff and he was like yeah okay and it just felt good to have people working in this hair so he said only black women working on my hair for now but um right um but yeah if you look on his twitter he he knows his audience um (laughs) he's he's retweeting he's retweeting stuff from the march on march for black women um he knows his audience um (laughs) he's trying to come back for season four and i think he will Um, and then I have to shout out, uh, Mr. William Jackson Harper, who is an actor and new playwright. Uh, he's most well known at, for his role as Chidi Anagonye on The Good Place on NBC. And, uh, but the actor is originally his name is uh, William Fitzgerald Harper but because of some actors union rules or something like that um, he had to change his name and he chose his mother's maiden name as his new middle name so now he's William Jackson Harper Um, and um, He's been he's been acting off Broadway for a decade for like no money, <laughs> so he was thinking about quitting because for him theater had become like a bad friend who was mean to me, but who every now and again would take me out for a couple of beers. <laughs> wow! <laughs> uh, so he was ready to quit, and then he ended up getting the role on The Good Place. But he can't seem to quit uh, theater. Uh, He wrote a play called Travisville about a group of black preachers and parishioners debating the value of activism versus incremental change. And that sounds really, really interesting. I really want to see it now. Um, And (laughs) Lord, he said he was raised Kojic, Church of God in Christ which just whoo that's that's that told me a lot a lot um but he says he's agnostic now and blames his neuroses on being religious (laughs) (laughs) i feel that good lord church of god in christ that's ooh. i want to was beast was beastly church of god in christ um, let me, yeah, let me not, 
Let me not start lying. Maybe let me maybe let me Google. But um, uh, yes. So William Jackson Harper is a recovering member of Kojic. Bless his heart. Um, so he may be a little bit more like Chidi than we realize. Um, so yeah. Um. I've, um, so shout out to them uh, if you watch The Good Place and you should um, yes Chidi is a wonderful character um, very anxious very indecisive but still very adorable um, <laughs> so that is all I have to add for this week in that print. Um, again, you can hit us up at Black Girl Squee if you want to nominate somebody. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So, with that, we will go on to Womanist Vocab. And today's Womanist Vocab term is identity politics. Identity politics refers to the use of group collective identities to base one's political action and analysis. Many use the term to claim that people with marginalized identities side on issues that lie with popular perceptions among this particular collective. They also view identity politics as a zero-sum factor and that something that helps one group will inevitably harm another. Identity politics. And, uh, yeah, I was thinking of our 53% when I chose that uh, particular term today because seriously seriously I mean in that case they're right what helps them harms every fucking buddy else yeah but they think when we you know align ourselves you know with blackness or you know black womanhood you know whether, you know, trans is, you know, disabled, neurotypical, divergent, or anything else like that, we're being harmful. It's that word. I wish they hadn't learned that word divisive, because they use it all wrong. Yeah. It's just another word. It's just another tool in their arsenal to silence people. Mm-hmm. It's really disgusting. Okay, and now we actually have a Black Girl Commandment this week. Um, yeah, had to bring it back, just feeling this yes. in the spirit. Um, yes. This is real quick. Belief survivors. Believe survivors. Believe survivors. Mm-hmm. And stop gendering sexual assault victims and abusers. Just stop gendering. So instead So instead of stop uh, instead of believe women, believe survivors. Survivors aren't just women. Yeah. So All right. So, and with that good word, it is the end of our show. We are, again, Black Girl Squee on Twitter, Tumblr, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Also, check out our Patreon where you can support the show and find some bonus content. If you'd like to contact any of us, I am at Ender's Corner on Twitter. Dee Dee is at Deathstarter. And collectively, we are at Black Girl Squee on Twitter. And again, our email is blackgirlsquee at gmail.com. Once again, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Play podcast or whatever your favorite podcatcher is by using our RSS feed. And of course, all of our episodes are at our host, blackgirlsquee.simplecast.fm. And so, until next time, bye.